John 18, that's where we're going to be today, John 18. We're transitioning this morning, we've seen the last just uh, X number of weeks, we've been with Jesus, we've been with the disciples, we've been in the upper room where they are uh, taking part of the Passover feast. Jesus has uh, been doing all kinds of things, he's been teaching his disciples, He's been uh, encouraging them. He has been um, really communicating with them some of the things that are about to come to pass that they are just still in the dark about, um, that they still don't realize are coming. They, they still don't really know that in a day that he will be hanging on a cross and that in three days he will rise again. And when that happens, all of these words will start to sort of come into focus for them. But for right now... Um, it's all about to begin. So we transition out of this time that Jesus has had with his disciples into now the beginning of the process of him really walking uh, down this road into uh, the cross, into his crucifixion. So we're going to read verses 1 through 27 here in chapter 18. This is what it says. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches, torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with him. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let those men, let these men go. Verse 9, and this was to fulfill the word that he had spoken of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. And then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it. And struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Verse 12, so the band of soldiers and their captain, the officers of the Jews, arrested Jesus and bound him. And first they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. In verse 15, Simon Peter followed Jesus and so did another disciple. And since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. And the servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are, uh, are not one of the man's disciples, are you? He said, I'm not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them standing and warming himself. Verse 19, the high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. And Jesus answered him, I've spoken openly to the world. I've always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I've said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. And when he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus 
with his hands, saying, is that how you answer the high priest? And Jesus answered him, if what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. In verse 25, now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. And one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. This is the word of the Lord for us today. So what we see here, what we just read, and this is what we're really going to be getting into this morning, is we, we see this display of Jesus' power in the midst of some just incredible darkness. Um, and what we want to look at is the power that Jesus has over darkness. We also want to look at the power that we have to endure through dark things like betrayals, like we see here, like trials, like we see here, like denials, like we see happening to Jesus. I remember the first time I ever experienced kind of a form of betrayal and trial and, and denial. I was about a year or so out of high school, and I had a friend that, that I thought I was really close to. Um, and at some point, something in the relationship changed, and he started hanging out with another group of friends, and I heard that he started saying a bunch of things about me that just weren't true. And I was so confused because we'd been so close for so many years. And um, I think it was a group of friends that he'd always kind of wanted to get in with, and he finally got in with them. And so in some strange way, it meant that he had to sort of take me down or take me out of the picture for that friendship to work. But I remember some of these people coming to me and kind of putting me on trial and saying, hey, do you know what this guy is saying about you? Are these things true? And I said, well, they're, I mean, they're absolutely not true. And I don't know why he's saying them, but it's, it's crushing me. And then I remember when I went to him and I approached him and I said, hey, brother, I said, what's going on? I said, rumors are that you are spreading rumors about me. And I've had these guys come to me to substantiate these rumors and they're not true. And you know they're not true. I said, so why are you spreading these lies? And he said, I haven't said a word. I'm not spreading anything. So it was an interesting thing to experience betrayal, being put on trial with these friends, and then having my friend, who I thought was my friend, who had been my friend, deny that any of it was happening. And it's disorienting, right, at any stage in our life. And, and when I say that, there, there has to be some um, element of, of just memories that kind of surface for you. And you remember that there are moments when people have lied about you or betrayed you or abandoned you or have denied ever knowing you or, or basically kind of put your word on trial. We all experience that. It's, it's really part of our existence in a lot of ways. And we all, all have choices in how we respond to things of that nature. And by the way, those aren't just small things. Those are dark things. In fact, I would say that moment was, was so, put, put such a, just a, was so imprinted. It took me years to get past that. Um, I remember years later, I had married Melissa, and I was still processing that. I was still trying to figure out what happened in that whole thing. I was so wounded by it. It was such a dark time for me that it took years for it to even just sort of start to evaporate. Even when I'm talking about it right now, like I can feel it. I remember the moment so clearly. 
And it's the same for you all. You remember those moments. Why? Because they, they imprint something on your soul. Because they're dark. And they're not normal. And they hurt, right? And we have choices in how we respond in those moments, don't we? We have choices, right? We can get revenge. I'm going to go after this person. They're not going to get the best of me. They're not going to have the last word. We can grow bitter. We can just kind of pull back. We can put a lid on it. We can try to forget about it. And then we can see that bitterness starts to take root. We can become distrustful. We can think, you know what? I can't trust anybody. I'm not going deep with anybody ever again because this potentially could be uh, the outcome, right? Or we can see, as we see here, darkness as the opportunity for Jesus to illuminate our life more fully and completely because of what we've experienced. And by the way, and I'm going to say this, I'm going to qualify this like a dozen times. That's probably exaggerating, but a lot this morning. Um, it doesn't take away the pain of the things we experience. So some of you guys have like walked into incredibly dark things in your life. Right? So what we don't do is we, do, we don't take a Romans 8.28, all things work together, band-aid, and just slap it on you. Right? Because there needs to be time to process and rightly grieve and rightly lament and rightly step back and say, hey, this is something that happened. And what is it that the Lord is trying to illuminate to me and in me through it? Those things happen simultaneously, by the way. Right? We don't just get past it and now I'm in the light. No, it's, it's just a... It's just almost like a big, almost like a murky pool of these things all happening while God is working in us through dark times, illuminating his presence, his light, and his life in us. It all happens. It's hard to make any sense of it. It's hard to make any sense of it. And we, we kind of get a sense of the, of the push and the pull and the confusion here. Even, even as we read about what Peter and how he responded and how confusing these, these times were. What we know from the words we just read is that darkness has no power over Jesus. I don't know how much more simple I can say it than that, but this is what we're seeing here. Darkness has no power over Jesus. What could be more vulnerable, by the way, as we see Jesus coming out of the upper room with the disciples, entering into this garden? What could be more vulnerable than spending your final hours in a garden at night? So just kind of look at the narrative that's being sort of set up for us here. Jesus leads his disciples to what's called, a, a, what we understand to be a familiar place, a place that he'd gathered many times with the disciples, but it's also a place where there are no defenses. It's a garden, right? There's no places to hide. Jesus was entering into a place of vulnerability, and so were his disciples, except they didn't know that. Only he knew that. This was a place where Jesus would pour out his soul to God. This is a place where he would pray to the point that his sweat was as heavy as blood. Some of the other gospels talk to us about. We've all had moments where anxiety in our life makes the air thick, right? We can feel it. Like you can almost smell the air given sort of your sense of, of worry and, and anxiety, We've been in a place like that. And yet, what we see here is when we look at verse 4, it reminds us that Jesus, he knew everything that was unfolding. Right? We're, we're already getting these comforting words in verse 4, which is that Jesus knew. He knew everything that was about to, to, come, uh, that was to come to fruition. 
He was not being tricked. He was not being caught unaware with the betrayal of Judas Iscariot. Nothing was happening here that was outside of God's plan that he had laid out the blueprints for all the way back in Genesis. All the way back in Genesis 3.15 when God declared to the serpent. Remember what he said? He said, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And, and, And that language means that, hey, someday... I'm going to send a son who's going to crush you and the powers of darkness. This will not stand. The plan has already been drawn up. It's going to take some time for me to enact it. But have no fear. Um, It's going to come to fruition. This darkness would not swallow Jesus. Even though he moved toward it. Even though he, he stepped into it. And that's the difference between the way we, we kind of receive darkness and, and the way Jesus moves towards the darkness as a way to transform and redeem it with his light. I mean, I'm repelled by darkness. I'm afraid of the darkness. I'm afraid of the things that are just coming at me that I can't see. Jesus, on the other hand, goes, I'm stepping toward that for your sake. I'm stepping into that for your sake. Remember in John 10, 17, He said, for this reason, the father loves me because I laid down my life that I may take it up again. And then he says, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, Jesus says. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my father. So Jesus, we get this picture of Jesus being the light of the world who willingly steps into the darkness of the world. Remember in John chapter 1, we read the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Is Jesus feeling anxiety at this point? I think we could say he was. Is Jesus also confident that the plan that God made before the foundation of the world to send his son to dispel the darkness will do that work? We can say that he is. Both of those things can be true, right? I, you know, I hate dark rooms. I don't know about you. I hate dark rooms. Uh, one, of the, one of the constant struggles me and Melissa have is um, I like a really bright house. Um, I'm, I'm not, you know, I do a lot of cliche dad things. The one cliche dad thing I don't do is go around turning the lights off in the house. I go around turning all the lights on. I just want all the lights on. It's like, oh, we got a lamp right there? Why isn't that thing on? You know, I'm reaching over and I'm, I'm, I'm flipping it on. You know, I walk into a room that nobody's been in in three months. I'm like, there's no reason for this room to be dark right now. And I just turn the light on, right? I hate dark rooms. I like a, I, I like a lighted up room um, because I'm afraid of the dark, right? Can I just be honest with you guys? You can get a degree, but it doesn't change the fact that you're afraid of some things, all right? Um, But here's what's interesting. When you walk into a dark room like I do and you flip on the light switch like I do every time, babe, um, something happens and it's that the darkness vanishes. Like it, like if that light bulb is is working, like it works every time. Like it's effective every time. The darkness is never powerful enough to overcome the light that is shining in the room. In fact, I have the power to adjust the level of darkness with this beautiful thing called a dimmer switch. So I can make it as light and as bright 
or as dim and as dark as I want. In case you were wondering, I just have that thing all the way up. I don't even need a dimmer switch. I just want it all the way on. I like a light room, right? When we consider what Jesus was stepping into, we consider this dark turn of events, which was a turn of events that God the Father had already had mapped out. When we consider that, we need to remember that at no point was he controlled by the darkness. Wherever he walks, the darkness is expelled, right? And in fact, such is the power that Jesus has. And we get a glimpse of it here in in verse uh, 5 when he says the words, I am he. And you guys see what happened when he said those words. The, The guards draw back and they fall to the ground. When he says the words, I am he. It's like this wild and untamable power that God has. When Jesus speaks, and because he's God in the flesh, things happen, right? And we, got nothing, we have nothing for it. We have nothing for it. This band of soldiers comes out with weapons and torches. Jesus says, who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus simply replies, I am he, and the whole guard falls back. What is that? I mean, what kind of power is that? Well, it's the power of the created word. When you are somebody who can say, let there be light and light appears, and believe me, when I'm in those dark rooms, I wish I could do that and not flip the switch, right? But when you are somebody who has that kind of power, it means that your words contain something that none of our words uh, contain. And there's nothing to do to stop it. You, You have no power within yourself to stop the force of it. If you ever go surfing in Southern California, you can go to these particular kind of spots that are known for having just these, you know, crushing waves, you know, these eight foot, nine foot, 10 foot waves. And, um, and you can also go to other spots where the waves aren't as big, you know, and by not as big, I mean three or four foot waves, which by the way, when you're in front of a three or four foot wave, it looks huge, like it's ginormous. And one of the games that you play when you're a kid, because you're not very intelligent, is you, you, you'll get your buddy and you'll say, all right, let's just stand in the water and let's just see like how many waves can break over you before like it knocks you over. And so you try to stand in the ocean and you try to like withstand the wave. And the thing is you can never withstand even one of those waves, like ever, once. So it's, I don't know why we play, I don't know why, I don't know who invented that game. Um, But you stand in front of these waves and it doesn't matter if they're three feet or four feet or seven feet, but the force of them is so great that there is nobody in the world that has the ability to withstand the force. And that's just water, right? That water is something that was created by God. And here we see Jesus declaring who he is and the force of the power of his words literally has some chain reaction that knocks, physically knocks down these soldiers. It's phenomenal. But it it allows us to understand the power of Christ and the power of his words over the power of darkness. And and in fact, Jesus' words here, they, they echo the book of Exodus when Moses was about to deliver the Israelites from slavery. Remember this part where Moses asked God, he says, Moses says, hey, look, when I go to Pharaoh, who should I say sent me? And God simply tells him, tell him, I am sent you. And we remember the power that God unleashed on the Egyptians, right? All the plagues, all the miracles, all of those things were initiated by the power of his I amness. 
I am God. There is, I, I, am, I am the being that encompasses everything because without me, there isn't anything. So the only thing that I need to be referred to as is I am. Jesus mimics those, those words and he unleashes that same power because he is God. John described him as the word of God made flesh. And it's just hard for us to fathom that kind of power, right? It's hard for us to fathom that kind of, we say words. I mean, we all say words. I say words all day long. And none of y'all are going to fall back when I say you're going to fall asleep most of the time when I'm speaking, right? These soldiers have no idea of the power they're dealing with, and we have no idea either. And that's why passages like this are so important with reminding us of the power that Jesus has over the forces of evil, the forces of darkness. It's a comfort to our souls, right? But this is why Jesus had to go willingly to the cross because there would be no other way for him to be contained. There would be no other way for him to be captured. Why? Because you can't capture that unless he says, I'm here. I'm here to save the sins of many. Darkness has no power over Jesus unless he permits it, which, by the way, is another proof that there is no evil that can overcome him. Here's something else we see in these verses, and that it's we have no power to help Jesus. You have no power to help Jesus. Which brings us back to the first point, which is that darkness has no power over Jesus. And if we have no power to help Jesus, it means that all of our trust can just be laid at his feet. Amen? Right? In verse 10, Peter draws a sword, it says, and he cuts off the servant of the high priest's ear. I don't know if he missed but I'm guessing that's not what Peter was aiming at, right? Um, but Jesus, interestingly, what does he do? He rebukes Peter. And he actually, we learn that he heals the man. He puts his ear back on. And then he reminds Peter that, hey, this is part of the cup that I have to drink. Don't be aggressive. Don't try to take matters into your own hands. I have this. I got this. You know who didn't have it? Peter. Peter didn't have it. And Jesus reminds him, hey, this is all according to plan. You need to settle down, Pete, right? Put your sword away. In Matthew 26, we get kind of an expanded look into Jesus' words to Peter. He says, hey, all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send more than 12 legions of angels. But then how should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? Do you see what Jesus is saying? Peter, you're not getting this. Like this is all part of what I have to do to restore mankind back to God. But Peter's a lot like us. Peter's a lot like us when we're facing fearful situations, when we're in very dark seasons and we're scrambling and we're like, I got to do something i got to fix this. God's not working fast enough. Well, I don't know. He might be working, but I don't see what he's doing. So it's like we're pulling out our swords, right? We're taking our matters into our own hands, right? And let's be careful here because there, there's a time to act, right? There's a time to act in our life. There's a time to not be passive, right? we got to use discernment in these things. But more often than not, we need to put our swords back into our sheaths like Peter, 
And by the way, these swords can come in the form of so many different things that we feel like we're helping God with, but in reality, we're doing harm to the cause of Christ. Do you guys get what I'm saying with that? Like, what are the things that, that you reach for, like Peter, because you're saying, God, you're just not operating at a pace that I'm familiar with or that I prefer. So let me use my sword and let me just start hacking away at things so that I can take matters into my own hands so that I can get the results that I want. Because the Christian life is hard. And yeah, I know the dude up there on Sundays talks about counting the cost all the time, but it's hard, hard. So we grab our swords and we say, I can help with this. I can eliminate problems. I can go on a tear. And the whole time, really, Jesus is standing back and saying, would you just be still and know that I am God? Would you just believe and trust in me? That it doesn't matter if you can't see what I'm doing, but you can rely on my character and my love and my compassion for you. I am doing a thing. Maybe that's where you find yourself today. Man, you're reckless. You're in a situation that is so difficult and it's, it's just made you just kind of just, just lose your footing, grab a sword and just swing all over the place. And the Lord is saying, like he said to Peter, put that sword back in its sheath. I got this. You don't need to have this. I got this. Trust me. Rely on me. Believe in me. The fact that we have no power to help Jesus should be such a source of comfort to you. The fact that you don't get to take credit for all the things that Jesus is doing in your life, in the life of the church, and in the world, it should be such a source of comfort for you, right? The fact that you don't have to take this all on your shoulders. Peter did not need to pull out that sword. And you don't either. You have no power to help Jesus through your dark times, through your betrayals and trials and denials. Jesus has faced these things on your behalf. And that should be a source of comfort. I grew up in a traditional home. Um, and by traditional, what that means, or what I mean by it is my dad worked outside the home and my, my mom worked inside the home. Um, here's what's interesting, right? When people would come over to the house, friends of my parents, they never said, Ronnie, what a beautiful home you've made for your family, right? Nobody ever looked at me and said that, right? Nobody ever said, hey, you've done a great job putting a roof over your family's head. Big R. They didn't call me that back then. Um, I contributed nothing to the mortgage when I was growing up with my parents, right? I contributed nothing to the running of the household. I just benefited from the sacrifices of my parents to provide me with a home. I remember the stress that they endured. I remember some of those moments. I remember some of the difficult financial times that they walked through, that they had to persevere through, that they had to endure. I had no power to help as a 10-year-old. I had no power to help. I just needed to entrust myself to their leadership. And in fact, the best thing for them was if I would do that, right? The fact that you have no power to help Jesus should be such a source of comfort to you. It should remind you that 
the word of the Lord remains forever. And this is the good news that was preached to you, 1 Peter 1.25. It should encourage you to make sure that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God, 1 Corinthians 2.5, right? Let's read John 17. Where Jesus writes in verse 3, Jesus speaks and says, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus was glorifying God. Why? Because he was accomplishing the work that was set before him. Not by our help but to help us. That should be some enormous comfort for us. Jesus is going to accomplish what he said he will accomplish in the world and in you. Listen, sometimes we have grave concerns about the state of the world. And trusting in God's power over the darkness of the world, hey, that doesn't just eliminate our concerns, right? I mean, look at what's going on in the world right now. If you've seen any clips of this, the atrocities happening in Israel right now, it would be wrong to sit back and go, hey, God has this, I'm good. Like, that's not the, that's not the right response. No, we rightly lament and grieve and pray. Why? Because that's God's heart. God laments. God grieves. The difference is that we don't grieve as those who have no hope. Like Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, our grief doesn't end in despair. It ends in divine hope, knowing that God loves justice and he has promised to deliver the oppressed from all that results from sin and the fallenness of the world. Remember, remembering that we have no power to help Jesus is what moves us to hope in Jesus when we are facing what Jesus faced. And let me close with this. The power of Jesus, of course, is how we endure through our own dark times because we will all face betrayals and trials and denials in our life. Most of the time we do everything we can to avoid it and we're deeply affected by it when it happens to us. The most interesting thing about Jesus is that he willfully subjected himself to all three of those things for the sake of love. Because he did that, we have a power, listen to this, in the form of a person to face now our own betrayals, our own trials, and our own denials. Listen to this. Without Jesus, betrayal can make us people who cannot rest until we get revenge. And we spend our lives looking for ways to do that. Without Jesus, an unjust trial right? People throwing stuff at you that's not true can change us into bitter people. Bitter people. Without Jesus, a denial can turn us into people who are afraid to ever trust anybody again. And by the way, if those things have happened to you, all of those things are understandable. It's not strange that you wouldn't feel that way. It's not strange that it's, not go that it's going to take time for you to process that and to, and to walk through that. It would be strange if it didn't. It would mean that you were trying to bury it. So God has something for you when you have faced the kind of betrayals, trials, and denials that his son faced. And he's usually going to take time 
to work those things out in you, right? Jesus shows through his willingness to face those types of things that these things don't have to be what forms our identity and then has the potential just to corrupt our souls. Because the vengeance we feel, it's going to be executed someday by the Lord. And that's his. The trials we face, they will be transformed into steadfastness, right? The denials remind us that we have a Lord who, though he was denied by the people he loved, he never left or forsake them. Without the hope that the cross and the resurrection brings, there's no way for us to not be irrevocably shaped by the ways that we are sinned against. But we can uniquely endure through our own darkness because Jesus endured and offers us himself as our power to endure. We remember the story of Joseph in Genesis 50. Remember the story of Joseph? Sold into slavery by his brothers, betrayed and denied by them, put on trial. What happened at the end of it? Well, it's a long story. But he was able to say this incredible line, which was what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Did that erase the years that Joseph had? Did that erase the years between 17 and 30 years old when he was behind bars? He wasn't going to get those years back. Because God meant that evil for good does not mean he got those years back. But God gave him something through those lost years that produced a richness of heart that allowed him to make that unbelievable statement that he made to his brothers that we now, thousands of years later, get to be encouraged by. How is that possible? It's the power of God over the darkness of the world. This is what Jesus offers to those who have experienced all of these things. Also, listen to this. This is what Jesus offers to those who have inflicted these things on others. So if you are somebody who has betrayed others, put others through trials, and denied others, like Peter denied Jesus, there is grace for you too. It's the same grace. It's the same mercy. It's the same compassion. What Christ experienced was beyond our human experience. We're going to see it here in the next few weeks. But it was so that we could experience a restored humanity. Let me, read with, uh, let me end with reading Hebrews chapter 4. If you want to turn there. I'm going to make a hard right and go to the book of Hebrews. I'm going to read these passages, and then we're going to pray. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. This reminds us of Jesus' power over the darkness of the things that we face. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest 
who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Listen to what it says in 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. We will still have scars after the darknesses that we face. But more importantly, we have a scarred Savior who has overcome the darkness. And that is why you walk out of this warehouse no matter what your life has looked like with the prospect of forgiveness, hope, and restoration. Amen? Can I pray? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these passages. We, we thank you for this road that you took that was planned before the foundation of the world to lead us to salvation. Lord, it's a heartbreaking thing to read about what you face, and so we are taken back. And we're also so grateful. We're filled with gratitude when we think about what you face so that we would have the power of the Holy Spirit to face these things. Lord, we don't know what we're doing most of the time. We don't know why the things that come at us come at us. Sometimes we do. Most of the time we don't have explanations for all the anxiety we feel and the worry that we feel. But Lord, we know that when we come to you, when we draw near to the throne of grace, we know that you understand. And we know that there is no power in this world that has the power to swallow up the light that is contained in you, Jesus. Lord, let us give that, let that give us comfort today as we scatter and we seek to be a light in Ashland and a hope and an encouragement to our brothers and sisters here at Substance. Would you do that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.